Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Emma. And we are the Steministas. We educate the public about science and the news. And the ethical implications of new science findings. This is our final episode of Season 2, which has been all about the cardiovascular system. For this episode, we'll be focusing on heart disease, so we wanted to start with a brief introduction on that before we get into the main event, which is a special guest interview. As we've mentioned before, heart disease is a major public health concern. It is the leading cause of death in the U.S., accounting for one in four deaths, according to the CDC. Heart disease is a very broad term and encompasses several disorders, which we talked a little bit about in our COVID episode. These disorders can lead to complications such as heart failure, heart attack, stroke, or aneurysm. We are very pleased to have a special guest here with us today to discuss the topic of heart disease and lymphatics, Natalie Harris. Natalie is a fifth-year grad student at UNC in the Department of Cell Biology and Physiology. Welcome, Natalie. So since you're a first-time guest, could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, kind of what you were doing for your research, some of your science background? Sure. Yeah. Um, so as Rachel said, I'm a fifth year grad student. So I've been doing the science thing for a while. And in our lab, we study the lymphatic system. The lymphatic system is actually an entire vascular network that runs side by side your blood vessels. And it performs really specific and important functions, primarily to help control the fluid in your body, as well as help regulate immune cells, basically serving as a superhighway for the cells to traffic throughout your body into sites of injury, and it also helps absorb the fat you eat in your diet in the gut. Lymphatics are a really, really big and underappreciated system, so I'm glad I get to talk about that with you guys today. Yeah, I, you know, I have a love-hate relationship with lymphatics. I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but um, I had a lymph node swell up really big on my neck one time. It was terrible. They thought I might have the mumps. It was, it was like this huge swell on the side of my neck, um, but I know it does a lot of important functions for me, so I, overall, I'm thankful for it. Yeah, well, that um, means your lymphatics were working. Yeah. So <laughs> Part of our mission on Steminesis is to show that scientists are multidimensional people and not just lab rats, so beyond your science, would you share some activities that you do outside of the lab? I know you do a lot of service for the grad student community, but also you can share some hobbies that you do outside the lab. Yeah, so kind of, I guess, for my grad student community service here at UNC, we have a professional student government. So that has grad students from all over the campus. It has artists, musicians, English majors, doctors, lawyers, you name it, we're all in that society. And we kind of worked to help improve the lives of grad students in the classroom and beyond. We did a lot of work during COVID to try to help manage all the crazy things going on and what's happening at the university. So I'm sure any of you in any kind of school, no matter if it's high school, college, what have you, it was a mess. We were trying to help get as much information to people as possible and also try to get some grad students some emergency COVID funding through all this to help support a lot of those struggles during the pandemic. But outside of my lab and school work, I really like to paint and haven't gotten to do that much of it lately, but it's a great stress reliever. I recommend it. It's definitely uh, an activity anyone can pick up on. You don't have to be uh, super skilled in it at all. It's just really relaxing and fun. And um, 
I love to cook and bake and hang out with my dog, Luna. She's a little former Welsh Corgi, so we, like, go a lot of weekends. That's adorable. I love Corgis. Are you, uh, have you been baking any, well, I know as we're going to get into later, you've been really busy working on your recent publication, but have you been baking anything special for the holidays? anything too extravagant like I usually like to do, but uh, kind of like a few cookies here and there. Um, A big popular cookie in our lab is these Andy's Mints cookies. They're basically like mint chocolate cookies, but instead of chocolate chips, use Andy's candy. The cookies come out like Grinch green. It's like it's very fun and tasty. That sounds amazing. That does sound really good. So this episode is all about heart disease, and the Corona Lab studies a very important part of this that we've not discussed as much this season, specifically cardiac lymphatics. Can you tell us a little bit more about the lymphatic system in regards to how it relates to the heart? Yeah. So like I mentioned earlier, the lymphatic vessels have a lot of important functions and two of the biggest functions are helping to maintain fluid balance and also traffic immune cells. And the cardiac lymphatics are really special amongst all the different lymphatics that you can find throughout your body and that they sit on top of the heart and they're really sensitive to how the heart works. Essentially, the lymphatics in the heart help drain away extra fluid and immune cells that are in the heart kind of normally, but also especially during injury. So as you can imagine, a heart attack, which we call myocardial infarction, you get a lot of inflammation after the heart attack, and actually the heart swells with fluid. So the lymphatics help remove some of that fluid away, but also help get the immune cells, which are important for resolving injury to the heart. So like I said earlier, it's kind of like a super highway in that sense. The more that we've started to learn about the cardiac lymphatics, the more that we've learned that they actually have quite a bit of disease relevance. And the fact that part of their function is linked intrinsically to the heart itself. So the lymphatics, they traffic the fluid and they're a little bit different than your blood vessels, which have specialized cells around them, which help kind of track, pump, and move the fluid along. But the lymphatics don't always have that. So the cardiac lymphatics are really cool in that the way that they help pick up the fluid and traffic things, they have to move the fluid along these vessel-like structures, and the beating of the heart actually helps move the fluid. So those two, Whoa. the cardiac lymphatics, exactly, yeah, the cardiac lymphatics and the heart are really just, you know, right there working alongside each other. And a lot of research in the last probably 60 years, and especially in the last probably 10 years, has found that the cardiac lymphatics remodel a lot during various different cardiovascular diseases and that we can actually therapeutically stimulate the lymphatics to grow more. And we found that that actually helps improve the outcomes of these diseases. Like I said earlier, in terms of a heart attack, if we have more lymphatics grow in the heart, they can help fix some of that heart function. So the patients that would have extra lymphatics can actually function after a heart attack. So quick question. You mentioned that disease could cause remodeling. Can can positive things like exercise also cause remodeling in a good way? Yeah. So that is actually a super unexplored region of the cardiac lymphatic world. But yeah, so we kind of tend to think about most organs in a disease context, but there's a lot of normal physiological healthy things that happen. So if you think of like uh, high performance runners, people that do distance marathon running, their heart sizes actually increase. And there hasn't been a lot of studies to see if their lymphatics grow. But one thing that we do know is that actually when women are pregnant, because they have to have extra blood supply for their 
growing fetus, the heart itself actually enlarges during pregnancy. And we do know that the lymphatics also remodel and expand along with the heart. So they definitely are sensitive to even just good remodeling as well. So when you talk about a fluid that's being like going through the lymphatic system, what fluid is that? That's a great question. So one thing that people don't really necessarily know about your blood vascular system, you think of it as a closed circuit system. You don't ever want your blood to escape your body because if you do, that means you're bleeding out and you have lots of problems. But um, a natural thing that happens, it's kind of more due to physics and it's due to these um, physics principles called Starling forces. Essentially, um, you have really big blood vessels in your body, kind of like the arteries and big veins in like your legs and arms. And as you move down to smaller and smaller tissues and even down to the cellular level, the vessels shrink in size. And essentially when they kind of get to that smallest point, which we call kind of capillaries, what happens is because of all the different physical and protein forces in the area, water actually escapes the blood vascular system. And as you can imagine, if that water doesn't get back, your blood volume would decrease. So that mm-hmm. actually would cause you cardiovascular events. You'd have a really low drop in blood pressure because you didn't have enough water. So um, some of this fluid that escapes your blood, some of it goes back in directly to your blood because of uh, certain physical forces. But there's at least about like 10% or more of that fluid that never would go back in your blood. And so that's where the lymphatics comes in. It helps take up that extra fluid and ultimately it traffics it along kind of nearby the blood vessels and ultimately returns it back to the blood kind of around the heart area through um, some ducts. So the lymphatics help take up that extra fluid, but also at the same time down back down at those capillaries, there's also proteins and other cells that have escaped the blood vascular system, or they're just immune cells that have been hanging out in the tissue where they're talking about doing um, immune function. So the lymphatics do serve as, like I said earlier, a highway for not only uh, the immune cells, but also for that fluid that escapes blood. And actually a lot of cardiovascular diseases as well, or kind of, you think of local injury, the same thing happens. So um, if you've ever had like a swollen ankle, you know how it like the wind up really big? Mm-hmm. A lot of fluid that has just kind of, we call it extravasated from the blood. That's kind of cooling there and you have your immune cells all working, trying to resolve that inflammation. Your lymphatics is ultimately what helps your ankle stop swelling and take that fluid away and return it back. Wow, I'm learning a lot today. I didn't realize like how much of that swelling is the lymphatic system helping out to get it back to normal. It's fascinating. So now that we've talked a little bit about lymphatics, especially as they relate to the heart, we would love to hear more about your research. And I understand that you published a paper recently. So can you tell us more about that work? Yeah, so I'm happy to talk about it. So kind of back to the lymphatic theme in cardiac lymphatics, a lot of people have been really interested in kind of terms of their function since we do know that uh, a lot of animal studies have shown that we can increase um, the growth of the lymphatics, which we call lymphangiogenesis, to help after cardiac injury, just like a heart attack. And we know that that's a beneficial thing, but we still don't really know a lot about how cardiac lymphatics just kind of work normally and what their role is at that kind of normal disease state. So people have started looking at models in which we've just kind of naturally, we have mice that actually have extra lymphatics. We've characterized 
that if you start with extra lymphatics and you undergo a cardiac injury, you do better than someone that does not have extra cardiac lymphatics. So in our lab, we recently acquired this new mouse model in which we were actually generating a model that has very few to no lymphatics, which was very surprising. But that was a finding that we actually discovered in authoring this paper. So we were actually focusing on how lymphatic endothelial cells connect to each other and how their permeability is regulated. So permeability is essentially um, what can pass between cells or through cells in terms of water or big cells and proteins and things like that. So we study in our lab this protein. It's called vascular endothelial secretin, and we like to call it VECAD for short. But essentially, it's this protein that helps join two neighboring lymphatic cells together and controls kind of how permeable the spaces in between the cells are. So there's a lot of work that indicates that that's really important for kind of keeping vessels together and functioning properly. Yeah, I mean, permeability seems like it would be critical for this whole system because that's the whole point. It's taking in fluid um, and putting it back where it should be, right? Yeah, it sounds really important, but recently we found something really interesting in that when you delete this protein or you get rid of it from the lymphatics, depending on where in the body you are, it has really different effects. Mm-hmm. So if you lose this VECAD protein from the lymphatics in your skin, there's really not that much of an effect. The lymphatics are still there. They can still seemingly kind of function, but uh, people hadn't really tested that too much, but they did find that... Um, if you turn to the gut, like where I mentioned earlier, that lymphatics help absorb fat. If you lose this VECAD protein, the uh, vessels that are in the gut actually totally disintegrate. Really bad, really oh, severe wow. side effects. So it's really interesting that the dermal lymphatics, like we call them in the skin, are resistant to loss of this protein, but the ones in the gut are not. And as a lab that's interested in cardiovascular diseases as well, we're like, okay, what about the heart? So that's kind of what started this whole study. So when you lose this um, kind of functional anchoring protein that's helping keep the lymphatics together in the heart, what's the effect? So we actually found that this loss has, again, very varied effects depending on exactly when you lose the protein. So in our work, we tend to look at development while the lymphatics are growing, as well as in adulthood, after all the lymphatics have already formed. So what we found was that when you lose this protein into development, that cardiac lymphatics, those are the lymphatics in the heart, are actually still able to grow. And they look pretty much the same as you'd expect from a normal um, normal lymphatics. Uh, when, you say, when you say in development, like how old are these mice? Are they in utero? Are they postnatal? So okay. we actually looked both in utero and postnatal. So in utero, of course, is still during pregnancy. And we do find that when we're looking during different points in pregnancy, that losing this protein, kind of when the lymphatics are really just starting to form and grow, that there's really not that much of an effect in terms of losing this junctional protein. Interestingly, though, like what Rachel said, that there's also that period, you know, after birth, you know, you kind of think of like the birthless stages, you know, you're still growing up, you're, you're getting bigger, things are changing that during this postnatal period, that when you lose the VCAD protein, you actually lose all the lymphatics on your heart, which is really surprising (laughs) because that they were able to form in development even without it. But then as soon as the the mice that we work with are born, 
and we lose this protein, then you actually lose the lymphatics, which was a very surprising finding. So that made us think that the V coherin is more important for maintaining this network rather than forming it. So that was a big distinction we started looking at. And then we found when you lose this protein in adults, so in this case, the lymphatics are allowed to form totally normally, they're normally covering the heart, that when you lose it, you actually start to see the lymphatics regress. So essentially you start to lose the lymphatics. So we found that they're really important for maintaining the lymphatics. And from there, we wanted to see, um, like we talked about earlier, the had, of course, helps maintain these cells touching each other and maintain permeability. So we would think that there would be big effects in terms of the function of lymphatics. So in the earlier part of the study, we just kind of looked at lymphatics broadly. Are they there? Do they look weird? Let's see. So now that we know that they actually start to disappear in adults, we wanted to actually kind of bring back in that cardiovascular disease relevance. So we deleted the VE-CAD protein from lymphatics, and then we challenged our mice with a heart attack. And then we wanted to see if these lymphatics could grow and proliferate, which is something that does happen after a heart attack. They help grow to, like we talked about earlier, help resolve some fluid and um, immune cell and immune interactions that happen in the heart after injury. And we found surprisingly that not having the VE-CAD, you don't have that increase in mm -hmm. the lymphatics. And actually, we didn't see much change in the heart function, which is kind of surprising mm -hmm. because all of the previous research that has shown that when you mm -hmm. increase the lymphatics after a heart attack, the mice do better. So we really thought that if you have no lymphatics, you would do really terribly. But that was interestingly not the case. But we did a different study in which we actually, in a normal mouse uninjured, we injected the heart with a dye, which um, we then allowed the lymphatics to take up. And we found that the mice without the ECAD can't take it up. So we know the lymphatics are dysfunctional. So it's really interesting in the heart attack findings that, you know, the lymphatics not working really didn't change the heart function that much. So do you think that means that some other cell has to be compensating for this problem, like the heart muscle, for instance, is working harder to beat. Could that be an, a possibility? Yeah, so there's definitely a lot of different compensation methods that you can have. One thing that we did notice is that after you give a heart attack, it's kind of like with a person, people can, you know, survive a heart attack and be fine afterwards, and it will kill some people. We did notice that in these mice, we had a higher proportion of mice that did not survive when they don't mm -hmm. have the VCAD in their lymphatics. So it's possible that, you know, they, they are actually pretty important, but the mice that survived might have been able to, like you're saying, Rachel, have like a, some sort of alternative method to overcome it. And one thing that's interesting about the heart in particular is we know that um, it can only kind of handle so much it's lethal because as you can imagine mm. the more fluid you're adding around the heart the harder it has to work and at some point it just can't handle it anymore so that's kind of what I think that the mice that died early after the heart attack probably had that kind of really extreme fluid around the heart that couldn't get resolved and some of the mice that we looked at later that did survive maybe that in terms of the mouse model itself when we use these genetic mouse models, we don't 100% delete every copy of the ECAD out of every single cell. 
So it's likely that those mice that did survive maybe didn't have as much meat as we did. So there's mm. still some decent function. So that's kind of what we were thinking there. But it, it does bring up an interesting point for therapy because we know that if now, if we you know, lose lymphatics, we're not necessarily changing the heart function, but if we stimulate them, we can improve heart function. So that actually makes us a really interesting drug target for actually helping people in the clinic. Cause we know that, you know, one direction is good. And if you went the other direction, which is, would be like losing lymphatics, it's not the worst. So it actually makes it a pretty safe drug candidate in that sense. That's really cool work. Like just to, yeah, I assume now, are you guys going to be doing more work to try and well, I guess with the mice, since you guys don't have the MTA, it kind of makes it difficult to do some things. But if you could go in and see, okay, <laughs> compare the mice who died versus didn't like die from the heart attack and like look at the genetic expression of VCAD or something like that. Yeah, that would definitely be an interesting point. Another aspect of the paper was really trying to figure out, like, we know kind of, again, everything that we've talked about is like really kind of high level, let's look at the structure, the big function. But we did a set of experiments to try to figure out why losing this junctional protein, which is really just connecting the cells. We're not changing the identity of the cells. We're not really changing their signaling all that much, why it has such an extreme effect. So we did a bunch of different cell experiments, but essentially what we found is that we had, it sits between these two cells of the membrane. And we also found that it interacts with other um, receptors on the surface of the cell, which are important for receiving signals in terms of what we call ligands, which are different proteins that are secreted that are really important for keeping them lymphatics. So essentially when you lose VECAD, you prevent these other receptors from being at the membrane. So essentially you're preventing them from doing their job too. So um, that was probably the most interesting finding for the paper. And we found that VCAD regulates multiple different signaling pathways in the cell. That's really cool. So it's not just kind of this structural thing that's silently sitting there. It has this active role and there's a whole cascade of things that go wrong when you don't have it. Yeah, exactly. So that was like really interesting. And it also kind of makes sense, like in terms of why that phenotype that we saw is so severe. Another thing that we're really interested in is that we know a lot of cardiovascular diseases, they tend to impact women more than men, the severity is different depending on the age. And we've actually found that there's sex differences in terms of cardiac lymphatics basally as well. So actually women have more cardiac lymphatics than men, which is very interesting. But um, in older age, women are more prone to heart disease than men as well. And so um, another aspect of our lab is kind of looking at um, how the lymphatics are influenced by sex differences. And our lab does know that some of the receptors and interaction proteins that are on the cell are sensitive to estrogen, which is a very female hormone. So that's a very interesting thing our lab is looking at as well. And again, tying in the lymphatics to that as well. So that's a, a huge thing in the field, kind of looking at the differences in lymphatics and how that's changing disease. Yeah, that's really exciting. Bring it back to human health relevance too. Are there any gene mutations that affect cardiac lymphatics or are there mutations in VECAD that are known to increase or be linked to heart disease at all? Um, in terms of VECAD, there's never been a single human mutation found because we do know that if you delete VECAD from the body in totality, 
that because like I said earlier, it's vascular endothelial coherin, if you had a gene mutation, it would most likely disrupt the same protein in your blood. So B coherin is important in lymphatics for what I said, but it is extra important in the blood because it helps keep the spacing between your blood vessel cells really close together so your blood can't escape your body. So we know, at least from our mouse models, that if you lose the coherin globally in both your blood and lymphatic vessels, it's lethal. So I think that's why there's been no human mutations at all. But there is a huge list of um, gene mutations affecting lymphatics kind of globally. So an interesting thing about just lymphatic disease in general, we kind of classify it as there can be primary lymphatic disorders or secondary, the primary being because of so there's actually a huge list of mutations that cause lymphatic anomalies in people. And some of the listeners might actually kind of recognize this because it appears a lot on the social media. It's called lymphedema. So if you've ever seen pictures of people with a really, really huge leg, with just one of them, that person most likely had a genetic case of lymphedema, meaning that they had a gene mutation in a gene that affects the growth and development of lymphatics. And what happens is in those patients that the lymphatics are not working right at all. They either weren't formed correctly or that they're not functioning properly. And what happens is, especially in those kind of patients, they have some kind of injury to that limb, which kind of sets off this kind of cascade. What happens is all this fluid collects in that leg and it can never be taken away because the lymphatics aren't working. Mm. The leg gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It's kind of been in the news a lot lately. I don't know if the viewers out there watch Snapchat. They have this one story. It's called Born Differently. And I've seen probably about once a month someone with a lymphatic disorder on that channel because it's so striking and people really don't. If you see someone on the street with a one giant limb and not another one, it raises a lot of questions. So it's nice that uh, lymphatic disease is just starting to get a little bit more attention. Definitely. Great. So thank you so much for joining us, Natalie, and for sharing all that work with us. You're very knowledgeable about the lymphatic system. So thanks for letting us borrow your expertise. <laughs> yes, I think everyone's going to be very interested. I mean, just if if us here, like being in science, have learned so much about lymphatics, it just shows like uh, other people in the general public need to learn this too, especially because yeah. people talk about fluid retention all the time and injury. And I don't think they realize how important the lymphatic system is in that. Oh, yeah. And I have one little other bite. In fact, also the doctors need to learn about it. Oh, <laughs> did you know that like lymphatic disorders, they actually affect about like, 230 million people worldwide. You can have lymphatic problems in almost every organ of your body. And believe it or not, in like most medical curriculums, the entire lymphatic system, which mind you, is in every organ of the body. Lymphatics are only taught to doctors for about an hour in their whole medical holy cow yeah so the more we can spread the news about lymphatics everyone gets to hear it everyone gets to hear it Well, that's great. And yeah, I do want to highlight something that Natalie said, which is that the lymphatics are in every organ. So we hope to have Natalie back to talk to us in future seasons. Thanks so much for having me guys. Yeah, thanks for joining us. And that concludes our season on the cardiovascular system. We hope everyone has a happy holiday season and we will be back in the new year with a new season. We plan to drop a teaser episode at some point in January. So keep your eyes peeled for that. That's right. Stay tuned. Bye.